from KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. Welcome to Forum. One in 10 California school children get special education services such as individual learning plans, medical assistance, and other support. During the pandemic, these services have fallen away and parents have had to try to make up for that by filling all the role of teachers, behavioral therapists, and more. Distance learning has also been challenging, something Governor Newsom acknowledged Friday when he said that some kids will never adjust to online learning. Now, the state will allow on-site instruction for children with acute needs. And coming up, we'll hear how families with kids receiving special education services are navigating the pandemic and how the state is trying to help. That's next, after this news. Welcome to this morning's forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Students with disabilities in California will be able to receive face-to-face -face instruction at schools this fall. Governor Gavin Newsom and State Board of Education President Linda Darling-Hammond made the announcement Friday and acknowledged that some students with special needs are unable to adjust to distance learning. Families and students with learning disabilities and autism, as well as students in foster care, struggled when school shut down last spring. We're going to hear about the unique challenges of remote learning for students receiving special education services and what solutions are in the works. Joining us is Lilian Ansari. She's the mother of a couple of kids with special needs, 11-year-old Atrina and 15-year-old Ara Delon. And welcome, Lilian Ansari. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me and um, providing um, this time for us to kind of pre uh, present the parent, parent perspective. Glad to have you and glad indeed to get that perspective. And let me tell you who else is with us this morning in addition to Lilian Ansari. Uh, we have Noemi Spinazzi who leads the Down Syndrome Clinic at UCSF Benioff's Children's Hospital in Oakland. And welcome to the program, Dr. Spinazzi. Thank you for so, much, so much for having me. Glad to have you and also glad to have Cindy Evans who joins us as well. She's a special education teacher in Marin County where they have uh, started something very distinct in the way of uh, learning for special needs children. And Cindy Evans, good to have you with us. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Let me begin, if I may, Lillian, I'm sorry with you. And I'd like our listeners to really hear what you've been up against and how it's been for you. If you could just describe for us and give us a picture. You've got two children with special needs. What's it been like? Sure. So I have a 15-year-old with autism and learning differences and a number of other issues that's a little bit less impacted by his disability. I also have an 11-year-old um, with um, tuberous sclerosis complex. She has epilepsy, autism, and um, moderate to severe in some, in some areas, um, developmental delays and disabilities. Both my children were in specialized classrooms. My son, my 15-year-old, Adalon, is... Um, attends Phillips Academy, a non-public school, and my daughter attends uh, public school in Oakland. Um, my son is doing a lot better than my daughter is. Um, he, in some ways, prefers the distance learning. However, he's definitely regressed socially. Um, as most people know, children with autism um, have so pretty significant social emotional needs and socialization unlike other typical 15 year olds don't come naturally to him so it takes a lot of effort and support for him to be able to 
engage with his peers. And that's been difficult. Um, but my 11 year old, um, Atrina, um, attended a moderate severe a classroom with moderates uh, for, for children with moderate to severe disabilities on any given week she had 15 people therapists and teachers supporting her and now it's just me basically and we i've had to stop working i worked as a special education a special needs advocate previously supporting other families with special um with children with special health care needs i've had to stop working um, we're fortunate that my husband can still work i know a lot of families i work with that are that don't have that and they're suffering even more than we are and uh, i know everyone's struggling honestly but i think that families like ours um, and other families with special needs, children, uh, not just struggling, we are suffering every day. It's been extremely difficult. My child, my 11 year old has a one-on-one uh, -on -one, um, person supporting her at school. So she needs a lot of hand over hand, a lot of uh, basically, um, no, she needs support with everything. She's at 11 years old, she's just beginning to read and she needs um, like I said, 15 people supporting her. Forgive me, she's also immunocompromised? Also, yes. And that's the other thing. It's because she has tuberculosis, she has um, multiple um, tumors in the major organs of her body because of TSC. And she takes immune suppressant drugs. She takes chemo, chemo drugs to uh, suppress, uh, to shrink the tumors. And because of that, she, her condition puts her at greater risk of serious complications if she contracts COVID. So um, for kids that have a combination of developmental disabilities and medical conditions, I think it's so much more complicated. And um, honestly, with the new directive from Governor Newsom, I'm really excited that a lot of children will be able to go back to school, but my daughter is probably not likely to go back unless there is, there are a lot more precautions put in place and might have to even wait for a vaccine. Well, there are many parents who clearly feel the way you do and are concerned about their children's health, but also their own health. And many teachers concerned about their health. I'm so sorry for Really, Absolutely. what you've been through, it's been not only challenging, but you use the word suffering. Uh, I mean, yes. the, the, I get, let me just cut to the chase here. I mean, your kids are experiencing individualized education programs, and mm -hmm. um, those are supposed to be helping uh, the kind of challenges that you've been talking about. To what extent have they really allowed for, especially since you mentioned not only the struggle here, but you know the difficulties in terms of social interaction and all the rest of it. How helpful have they been? I mean, I think our district has tried. My daughter was in a classroom with a very skilled and loving teacher that knew her very well. She was in her classroom for three years, but I think they didn't even know what to do. They didn't get a lot of um, clear directives from California Department of Education or from the district. And, um, you know, a, a lot of people, uh, families and the districts even, I think, are, are under the misconception that the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which is a federal law, has changed because of the pandemic. And that is not the case. It hasn't changed. And our children are supposed to have an IEP, an Individualized Education Program, emphasis on individualized so 
I encourage families to ask for an IEP. It, it's going to look different. It, it'll be a virtual uh, meeting. However, it should still be individualized. We haven't really seen um, any individualization. With my son, who's in a non-public school, they've really done a good job of supporting him. But with my daughter, really, she, since March 13th is when we pulled her from school because she's immunocompromised before the school's even shut down. And we really haven't seen much support. Um, I, I know they've tried. I know they've had their hands tied and they're trying to figure this all out too. But um, on our end, really, it's, it, it really hasn't um, been very effective. And Lillian, I'm sorry, with us, uh, mother of two children, 11-year-old and a 15-year-old. And uh, by the way, I'd like to invite listeners at this point, if you have concerns about how students with disabilities can learn and stay safe during the coronavirus pandemic, or if you have experiences that you'd like to tell us about or share with us, uh, as if you have a family with disabilities, students with disabilities, Please give us a call. We'd like to hear from you. You can call us now at our toll-free number, and I invite you to do that. The number to call is 866-733-6786. You can be part of the program by dialing in again toll-free at 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. I want to bring Cindy Evans into this. She's a special education teacher in Marin, and as I said, Marin has uh, moved over into a separate category in some ways, having small groups with acute needs uh, under new guidance and under the new directive that was mentioned by Lillian. And Cindy Evans, let's talk about, give us a picture of what you have going in terms of these, they're really sort of pods, aren't they? Um, well, our first programs, um, pilot program started in the spring. Um, I was receiving lots of concerns from my um, parents of my students, just like Lillian has mentioned. Um, at one point, uh, one of the parents were, she was crying to me on the phone. And um, the superintendent had already started pop-up childcare programs for essential workers and had mentioned to all of us teachers how um, we want to start doing that with the classrooms. And after I had this conversation with one of my parents, I... I emailed her immediately to say, hey, I would love to open up my classroom in person with all of the safety precautions put in place. And so um, she started a task force to have that happen. And we opened up um, in March um, up to, uh, three spring pilot programs for the Marin County Office of Education. And my classroom was one of them. Um, we. I, I took things out of my classroom, the clutter, I spaced all of my desks. I'm a middle school teacher, so that's um, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, 11 to 13 year olds. And um, with for children moderate to severe, so we're talking kids with Down syndrome and um, CP and autism, the whole spectrum, kids that are um, nonverbal, non-ambulatory, uh, they can have med medically fragile kids. So we have, I teach all of types of special needs. Um, so we started the program in uh, in the spring, the last four weeks of school, and it was extremely successful. Um, the students and the parents were so happy. Um, they were learning. I, we, the, the kinds of curriculum I have are functional life skills, independent skills, social skills. Um, these are really challenging uh, skills for parents to teach alone at home. 
and especially some of the students who are, um, aren't even interested in looking at a, a, a screen. So my classroom was also a hybrid. Um, so there was three, I had eight students and three of the eight students, um, uh, one couldn't make it for transportation. One of them is medically fragile. So the doctor wanted him to stay home and another one, the parent opted for him to stay home. So I had a kind of a hybrid situation going on where I had an entire day um, schedule that I would send out to these parents that were at home and I could have my um, SLP, my speech therapist, zoom in on the days that she would normally have speech and, and the students that were at home and they could um, see each other on a big uh, on a big monitor I had in my classroom. So students that were in the classroom could see their co-students at home and the speech and language pathologist or the OT when it was her day to do OT. And we even had a Qigong um, instructor volunteering, you know, half an hour a week um, coming well, through Zoom. Um, so we still were able to have children that were at home. Cindy, hold that thought if you could for a second, because we're coming up on a minute break here. And again, we're talking to Cindy Evans, special education teacher in Marin County. And Marin is on the watch list, but most of the schools have been banned from on-site openings until the numbers are down. This is an exception, and we'll hear more from uh, Cindy Evans. We also want to hear more from you if you indeed have students uh, who have special needs, or if you want to join us with any questions or concerns that you have, you can do that toll free again at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about challenges that students with disabilities have faced during the coronavirus pandemic and that they are facing as we move into the fall school season. There are about 800,000 students in the state of California, many of them getting IEPs, uh, as we said earlier, individualized education programs and others on 504 plans, which is essentially an accommodation for learning disabilities in a regular classroom. We were talking to Cindy Evans before we went to that break, a special education teacher in Marin County, and hearing, uh, which is nice to hear about, uh, about a successful story in some ways. Uh, uh, you were giving us a picture, Cindy, and I wanted you to continue sort of uh, giving the details of what you were going through in your narrative, please. So uh, I was able to uh, have the students that were at home and in the classroom um, be able to basically be together virtually. The students that were in the classroom um, were so happy to see their fellow students on Zoom whenever um, we were giving a lesson. And um, so that, that worked out really well. They were, the students, it was amazing when they came into the classroom the first day, um, how they just kind of jumped right back into their routine. They really were like skipping as they walked from the bus or skipped to the bus to the classroom. Um, they were so excited as the, the parents were. Um, it was very successful. I think that some of the challenges would have, are the technology aspect, troubleshooting when um, things were going wrong at, at, at in some of the homes. Um, uh, so, and a language technology barriers for families at home, language barriers as well. I um, actually speak Spanish, so some of my parents, it was easy for me to speak with them. However, they might not be tech savvy at home. And so trying to do that with a student with disabilities was, was um, that was challenging. That was a very challenging part. Of yeah, it. I was going to say, in some instances, you have kids who, um, 
really can't concentrate. I mean, uh, whether it's Zoom or uh, especially with technology, uh, and uh, uh, th there's a sense of the, vi the vital need of face-to-face -face instruction. I, I know, for example, that some kids can't even wear masks, and they have health risks if they have to wear masks, uh, although uh, I was reading about a Palo Alto Unified, they have clear masks so the facial expressions can be seen and they can interact with the kids, which seems to me to be a very good idea. But, you know, the kind of challenges you're talking about here are extraordinary, and yet uh, your successes are noted. I wonder to uh, bring uh, Dr. Noemi Spinazzi into this discussion. She leads the Down Syndrome Clinic at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in Oakland, and she's a pediatrician who cares for a large cohort of children with special needs. And uh, Dr. Spinazzi, let's talk first about the fact, I mean, you're working with children with autism, but when we talk about children with special needs, we're talking about a very wide range of children who need, in many cases, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, impossible to provide virtually. Also, children with emotional conditions, children who are homeless, migrant students in foster care. Uh, Marin is an exception in what it's dealing with here, but it's a pretty huge and broad swath. Like I said, about 800,000 students in California who fall in one way or another under this rubric. Yes, and uh, if I can share some lessons from clinical experience. Uh, we don't have any peer-reviewed data to the, at this point about the experience with remote learning. But what I do know, uh, caring for such a large cohort, is that a lot of children fell through the cracks during the sudden transition to distance learning, uh, whether because of technological issues, language barrier, as you mentioned, children who are uh, migrant or homeless um, are at especially high risk for falling through the cracks. And uh, children with developmentally developmental disabilities, especially those with more moderate to severe impairment, are really struggling to engage with distance learning, in part because of attention issues, in part because of those social-emotional differences. Peer engagement is not just to learn how to socialize. There are so many skills that we take for granted and that we learn naturally that children with special needs need their peers to for. And uh, the absence of this interaction has been really crucial. At baseline, children with special needs are documented to have fewer friendships. And now that friendship is available through Zoom, a technology that is not so friendly to children with disabilities, that has been incredibly isolating for our population. Furthermore, uh, part of having an individualized educational plan involves evaluations. And uh, in many districts, initial, triennial, and interim evaluations have not taken place at all, creating this growing cohort of children whose needs have not been described nor met. As you mentioned, the therapies are difficult to implement through a digital platform. And as Lillian so beautifully explained, it's a very hands-on job. And so a parent who now needs to implement uh, this educational curriculum cannot plant the child in front of a computer and go do their job. They have to be hands-on. And what does that mean financially? Because as Lillian mentioned, not all families are so lucky to be able to rely on a single parent's income or even have an income that they're currently rely on right now. No, there's a real inequity when it comes to resources here and when it comes to what families can provide for their children. But also, there's a problem of staffing shortages. Can you address that? I mean, it was a problem before the pandemic, but now you have these, well, a, a lack of special ed teachers, of aides, of psychologists, uh, especially when we have these IEP requirements. 
Yeah, I'm probably not the best person to discuss staff shortages, but I do know from anecdotal experiences that um, there are incredibly long delays for my patients to connect with therapies, including applied behavioral analysis, speech therapy, both through insurance as well as uh, through the educational system. You also mentioned inequity, and I do want to point out that I've heard really difficult stories from parents, including one sibling who's in kindergarten and is neurotypical got a bucket of supplies, my kid with special needs got three crayons, or the district told me that they saved up the leftover Chromebooks for the kids with special needs and they came to us without a charger or with missing keys. So there is this layer upon layer of, of difficulties, but also inequities when we're talking about distance learning. And when we're talking about distance learning, uh, Dr. Spinazzi, how do you make assessments uh, and conduct those remotely? That's right. And uh, that's part of the issue is that um, the whole process is supposed to be evidence-based and uh, we are faced as a nation, as a world with unprecedented circumstances. So we don't necessarily have um, evidence-based tools for uh, evaluation remotely. However, there could be some compromises such as exit evaluations from the early intervention services for kids who are turning three and need to enter the school district. Perhaps provisional educational plans until evaluations can take place. Um, however, it's just it's just been very difficult and, and very heterogeneous. Uh, I'll say that um, San Francisco Unified, for example, is moving mountains uh, to make sure that for children who are engaged in remote learning, who previously needed one-on-one -on -one assistance, they will be able to continue to have one-on-one -on -one assistance assistance in the home with remote learning. Not every district is doing that. So there's also such heterogeneity and disparity in how remote learning is happening. Yeah, I want to give kudos to San Francisco because uh, they have learning hubs. They're prioritizing low-income families, uh, children in foster care and homeless youth, and those in situations where remote learning is particularly challenging. And they're working with uh, Park and Recs, for example. They're working on uh, distance to students' homes and uh, really how to in some ways magnify or overcome that, especially with low-income families. Educators also, one has to take into consideration here, who really want to help are often terrified when they have to go into a situation where they're in meeting and not remote. Uh, let me, again, invite those of you listening to join us in this discussion. If you have students with disabilities, uh, how are they learning? Uh, how are they staying safe during the coronavirus pandemic? And what about the laws that are passed? Uh, there was another law just uh, fairly recently giving parents the option to keep children at home, even if the campus is reopened. I'm talking particularly about medically fragile children. But you are indeed invited to join us, and you can do that now toll-free at 866-733-6786. Number again for your calls, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. Let's get John on from San Jose. John, welcome. You're on. Hi. Yeah, I have a daughter who's 14, was to be starting high school this year. However, the IEP, I don't see how any of it could be even implemented with distant learning at all. It just seems impossible to to be able to put any of that into action from my place. Being a single parent, I can't be there, you know, or I have to work. Yeah, Lillian, um, let me go to Lillian. I'm sorry on this. Uh, Lillian, you had to give up your job, didn't you? I did. And um, 
as well as a lot of other families I know. And I, I worry that, um, you know, this is going to increase the disparities that that were exist in existence even more because of what you just call what your caller just mentioned parents that have the means to hire an advocate or hire an attorney and have the resources and understanding to ask for compensatory services are going to do it and parents that don't are just going to be left behind but just to kind of respond a little bit to to your caller uh you know iep with emphasis on individualized so i, I think that parents should call in my opinion, um, um, an IEP with their school district and ask for an individualized plan. It could look like, um, you know, two days a week. It's, it's uh, according, you know, there are, there are still a lot of things they can do. There has been guidance from Senate Bill 98 that kind of spells out and provides guidance on how some of these services can be provided and adjusted. Um, remotely so Lillian excuse me for a second because I think John John you you were going to the district and really not getting much help right well uh, we just did it we just did a district transfer from the schools the school districts we had been in for since pre-k and now we're going to a brand new school district because we had moved and it's just the transition has been terrible if it wasn't for our previous school district it would be uh, just maddening but they've really helped a lot the previous school district was making contact with the new one. However, yeah. it's still we're in like no man's land right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. That there can that. be. I mean, having an IEP meeting and having the details included in an addendum, uh, including a date when the adjustment, you know, the adjustments will be reviewed and revised as needed um, for you know, providing an individualized plan for whatever the child needs. I don't think that we should wait for the pandemic to end to provide faith for an appropriate public education. I think that that needs to happen now rather than when the, uh, when the pandemic ends, because a lot of our kids are regressing. If there's a regression, if there's a lack of progress, there might be additional services that will need that will be needed when we return to school. And that all needs to be spelled out in an IEP um, which is a legal document. Now, let me go back to John for a minute, though. John, you're a single dad, and that presents even greater challenges. Uh, talk about that, if you could. I'm an essential worker, so I've been working this whole time. Luckily, I have an older um, child that's um, not in school right now, and well, just graduated, and she's been helping me out immensely. But it's not her job to, you know, to, to take care of her sister, you know what I mean? And um, it, it, so I'm within my rights to, to insist on this IEP that, that you know, the, uh, what's been laid out in it, correct? I mean, not that they can actually do anything about it, but I'm within my rights to insist on this stuff that they've already said they would provide, correct? Yes. Absolutely. I think that's correct, yeah. I, I, all I can do at this point is wish you the best of luck and hope that this transition works out more smoothly for you than uh, you seem to be well in rockiness at this point uh i wish you the best and uh i'm sorry for what you're going through i want to uh actually go back to cindy evans who is a special education teacher in marin and cindy i'm looking at a comment from a listener named noe who writes good luck finding teachers that will agree to it uh it being i presume the antecedent of it here is uh the new condition yeah there's a lot of teachers that will agree to it and that did over the summertime and not even just in our um there's in marin city there were um cohorts there as well there's a lot of teachers who um 
at the end of the day want to do what they're supposed to be doing with um, as a teacher, teaching in person under the guidance of the public health and safety law and the um, the C the California De um, Department of Public Health. Um, we were following all of those guidelines in our uh, pilot program and summer program and even more strict than their guidelines. And there is a lot of teachers out there, believe me, that want to do this. Well, let me read something from a listener named Katie who uh, is pushing back on you. She says, I work with Cindy Evans. Most of her colleagues do not agree with her views toward reopening because numbers in Marin continue to rise. It feels like Americans are disregarding the seriousness of our situation. Teachers want to go back to school when the odds of transmitting it in our classroom are much lower. Cindy? I'm sorry, Who? what was that comment again? I just read it from Katie who says teachers want to go back when they know or are more ensured that it's safe. There are teachers that want to go back when they know it's safe and there are teachers that know that it's safe and want to go back. Okay. Uh, I think uh, Governor Newsom said it best, uh, you know, that uh, we want non-negotiable learning and we want non-negotiable safety, but sometimes the two are definitely at odds. We're talking again about challenges for students with disabilities during the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, let me read another email here. Emily writes, with distance learning, the only service my daughter can receive is parent consult time. I'm her paraeducator, have had to step back from work, and I'm watching her regress. The law says that compensatory education will have to be provided, but there aren't resources or professionals to provide that. And I'm sorry to say, and I'm going to go to you again, Dr. Spinazzi, that uh, what she says here strikes a real chord, I think, with many people. A hundred percent. And so I want to reiterate that SB 98 uh, went into effect July 1st, 2020, and it mandates that a section of the IEP include how services will be delivered during an emergency. So not just a COVID-19 pandemic, but any emergency. And every district is mandated to put a plan in place uh, for how this will happen by September 30th. And this section of the IEP needs to appear in every child's IEP, whether it's a new one or by the time of their next scheduled annual annual. IEP. Um, and that does not still address the fact that, as your previous caller, John, said, um, some parents are single parents who are essential workers, and some of them have family that they can rely on and others can't, which is exactly why Governor Newsom's office um, announced that uh, districts will be allowed to reopen to serve children with acute needs. We are in an impossible situation, and I think that we need to reframe the conversation from risk of COVID versus no risk to there's risks on both sides. There is the risk of infection and there is the risk of regression and behavioral issues and so much more of staying home. And so we are talking about risk reduction. And when it comes to risk reduction for infection, the first part is every one of us in the community driving down community transmission. If we're still gathering, if we're not wearing masks, if we're not observing physical and social distancing, we will not be able to drive down transmission. The second part is preparing the classroom appropriately, like Cindy Evans mentioned. And this includes universal masking policies. When we look in the news at all of these outbreaks, we can see that these were in places where masks were not enforced. Uh, teachers should be provided appropriate personal protective equipment. School will not happen if teachers cannot be in school because they're sick. So of course we need to protect the teachers too. We need to think about special considerations for protections when a child has 
special needs where they themselves cannot tolerate a mask. But I'm also a firm believer that the ma vast majority of children with special needs can learn how to tolerate a mask, just like they can learn to walk and they can learn to talk and they can learn to do so much that people did not give them the time of day and believe that they could. So I think that we need to reframe this whole conversation to a conversation about risk reduction. Okay, we will talk more about risk reduction. We'll talk more about the challenges that students with disabilities have faced and are facing during the coronavirus pandemic. We're talking with uh, Dr. Uh, Noemi Spinazzi, who leads the Down Syndrome Clinic at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in Oakland. Cindy Evans, a special education teacher in Marin. And Lilian Ansari, a mother of an 11-year-old and 15-year-old who is an advocate. And we do want to hear from you. So join us. You can do that toll-free right now at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about challenges uh, students with disabilities faced and are facing during the coronavirus pandemic. And we do want to hear from you. If you have uh, children or if you know about children or you're in a family where uh, young people are, well, facing challenges with respect to special needs, we do want to hear your thoughts and do want to hear your stories. You can call us at 866-733-6786. And I wanted to uh, get Liliana Ansari back with us. Uh, well, Jan, you you were talking about the difference between your two kids, and uh, you said that your son is a little more sort of technologically oriented, and uh, uh, are you thinking about having him go back to school, even though all the risks are there and all the concerns that are sort of uh, in this pandemic, unfortunately, uh, of, part of really our everyday lives, all of us? I don't think with him anytime soon, you know, while the numbers are still high, certainly not. And because he is able to access, um, for the most part, his education, I don't think we will send him back anytime soon. But The um, reason I ask that, though, is because I think uh, you've expressed concern about his lack of social interaction. And yeah. also, there's this tremendous burden on you with two children. Exactly. But of course, obviously, I have to prioritize my children. Um, it is hard. It is difficult. If I may lose, uh, use uh, a radio analogy, imagine uh, being in a room with no windows. You have 20 radio stations all on different stations part of talking or playing music. There's no off button. There's no volume button. And add to that the feeling of having the ground move underneath you while all of that is going on. You're trying to pay attention on screen. And that's kind of what it feels like for my daughter. So yes, it is difficult, but it's I, I cannot see sending her back because of her immune um, immune uh, system being compromised. Well, My you had son, said earlier yes. that uh, there, mm -hmm. there are lots of parents who uh, are struggling with more suffering yes. and more difficulty than you, but uh, and we think about food insecurity and things of that sort, but you've had to struggle yes. with the job loss. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of us in the special needs community, when our children are diagnosed, um, it can be very isolating for us. And we work very, very hard to build a community um, of support people, providers, and now all that's gone. And it's, it's extremely isolating and it's extremely difficult. Again, we are lucky that we don't have to, uh, that we can live on one income, but the physical and the emotional toll is, is no joke. Honestly, we spend so much time and energy shepherding our children through their days, things that come naturally to a lot of kids.
personal hygiene, socialization, self-regulation, feeding, sleeping, all of these things need uh, require support um, by by us. And we're we can't add being a teacher and a therapist to it. We're not qualified teachers, um, but I, because we don't really um, because of my daughter, we have to sort of keep keep going obviously until it's absolutely safe with my son i imagine he would go back sooner first of all because he's at a non-public school they are taking more precautions it's a much smaller learning environment he is able to keep a mask on so we might send him back when um, that becomes an option but for my daughter i don't see her going back um, until there's a vaccine and again, Liliana Ansari is a mother of an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old, and we'll get another caller on here. Robert joins us from Oakland. Robert, good morning. Um, I actually teach special education in the Bay Area at a, a school district, and I just wanted to comment on, um, please, I wanted to say everyone who is talking about their children, their their students, that um, please, I'm not at all trying to say that those needs are not important but when I hear uh, a comment like, well, everything has risk, I just have to uh, disagree with that. We should be talking about a reasonably safe learning environment. And in a lot of places, in most counties, we can't offer that yet. Um, someone was talking about compensatory education. That's how I think this should be handled, is that during this time, if we're not able to offer safe education those students need to be given that but at a time when it's later uh, special education goes to you receive a diploma or you turn 22. well if students have lost a year they should get that but they should get it past 22. it should it should safety if, if you have a teacher who gets sick or you have a student who gets sick that is there's not going to be any learning in that classroom anyways. And I just feel when people say, well, there's a risk for everything, that that's not being reasonable. Robert, I thank you for the call. I appreciate hearing from you. And I'm gonna go right back to Cindy Evans on this, a special education teacher in Marin who we've heard from. How are you keeping the kids safe? Uh, and how are you keeping the classrooms clean? And uh, what are you doing specifically that people should know about here, Cindy Evans? So I, I touched upon this earlier. Um, we took uh, desks out of my classroom. We separated uh, the, the students' desks so they're more than six feet apart. So again, I have a small cohort, and that's why this works, because I had five students in the classroom. This coming year, I'm going to have eight students. So we have a very low number of students in the classroom. We don't have anyone else that comes into the classroom except for the students and the, uh, the paraprofessionals and me, the teacher. Um, we've gotten rid of all of the clutter in the room. So we're able to disinfect every morning and, and afternoon at the end of the day. We take the students' temperatures when they, well, we were doing this in the um, spring and uh, summer program, but now the parents are going to be taking temperatures and asking questions, online questions about um, if there's anyone in the uh, household that is sick. Do they have, is there anyone with a fever? And if they answer, is there anyone that they've been in contact with that has COVID? If they answer yes to any of those questions, they can't come into the, to the classroom. Everyone's um, wearing masks, some uh, to the best of their abilities, and, but everyone who can, and I was really surprised at the amount of students that, that were wearing masks. We have already been practicing personal space 
um, in the beginning because some of my students, they don't know how to um, stop touching other kids or hitting them or pinching or something like, so we were always teaching personal space to begin with. Um, and, and that's just, and then as before we even started, uh, my SLPs and my OTs were giving lessons on wearing masks all the time. So you have to, you have to just teach kids and you know what, they can do it. Then there's the other part, um, hand washing all day long before they come in, when, the, when they leave the classroom, when they come into the classroom, uh, hand sanitizing. I'm walking around the classroom almost every half hour. Kids are putting their hands out and I'm squirting hand sanitizers on there. We're washing um, their desks in between. They all have their own individual baskets um, with uh, scissors and glue sticks. And, and if there was anything that they did touch that, like I might had to share an iPad, Every time an iPad or something like that was passed between them, I um, we washed, uh, disinfected the iPad. We had a bin that had dirty things in it and clean things in it. So we and now this year we're going to we were we're going to have humanity masks, which are shields. I'm sorry, which is a shield. It's a plastic cover and then it has like a um, a cloth uh, underneath it. Those are options for all of our teachers to wear. We have um, see-through face coverings as well, or we have regular face coverings. We have um, gloves. We have, uh, if a teacher wants anything that a teacher wants, we're going to provide that for them to make them feel safe. We've been going through the safety guidelines, like I said earlier, of the California Department of Public Health and um, our local public health uh, guidelines and, and then some. You're doing a lot, and uh, certainly we acknowledge that uh, and, and acknowledge it in a positive way, but I'm wondering how you respond to a listener named Brittany. I'll read her email to you and get your reaction. She writes, if school districts are not providing positivity rates and the federal government is not requesting it, how can we possibly know what does and does not work to reduce risk in the classroom? We are seeing many schools open and close, but we have zero data. Well, you bring, bring up the whole question of the uncertainty and the, the lack of incontrovertible feelings attached to testing, I believe. Your thoughts about that? Well, testing is available for our teachers, and if they want to be tested more than once a month, they can have that opportunity as well. Um, all I can say is the, the programs that we had in the spring and in the uh, summertime, there were no, um, no one contracted corona, the teachers nor the students. All right, I'm going to read another comment here from Cheryl, who writes, as an education advocate working with the National Disability Rights Organization, the calls are pouring in in some districts that were already struggling to deliver appropriate services. This has really exposed how marginalized students with disabilities are. For example, for North Coast Native American tribal communities, on one reservation, students didn't even get technology until two weeks before school ended, and then the districts promptly wanted to collect the technology on the last day of school. Let me bring a caller in here, a parent uh, from El Cerrito. Susan, joining us. Good morning, Susan. Yes, hi. I am the parent of a 250-pound toddler, and I'm out driving around right now because that's our distance learning. I don't know how we're supposed to do this. This is 24-7. I can't work. I can barely hold on. I'm exhausted. It's just tiresome. I hear it in your voice, and I'm so sorry for what you're going through. And Lillian, do you have some advice, some help, some way to alleviate the pain that we're hearing here? Lillian, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I lost you for, for a moment. But, 
Yeah, I think that there, you know, people talk about lack of resources, not knowing what to do, that shortages, staff shortages, but um, Oakland, for instance, received $2.6 million to support special education through the governor's emergency education relief fund, $33.2 million through the coronavirus relief fund, and $3.2 million through state's general fund. I would love to see some of that money put to use on uh, PPEs, regular testing, um, creating learning pods, uh, training teachers and therapists, learning kids, teaching kids to, desensitizing kids to wearing masks and teaching them to um, wash hands regularly. I think that uh, people like your caller, like she said, it's, it's not sustainable. We are truly suffering we are all at risk is there of- something though that you can provide or maybe i'll go to dr spinazzi on this uh, this is a caller i think who's in uh, pain right now who has an immediate problem uh, yeah. and uh, dr spinazzi some wisdom yes. from you yeah uh, so um this is dr spinazzi um i am so sorry you are going through this and it sounds uh, exhausting one question, I don't know how old your child is, but um, if your child uh, receives uh, um, regional center services and is over three, uh, you may be eligible for respite um, so that you can get a break uh, because uh, a break is like when in, on the plane, they tell you to put your oxygen mask first, right? It's, it's right, an absolute exactly. requirement. And then, and then thinking about, are there any uh, childcare options uh, that are available? Um, childcare centers have been open, though school districts have not. Uh, so might there be something through childcare centers? And then lean on local community organizations. El Cerrito is in Contra Costa, Care Parent Network um, is a family navigation organization that may assist you. I also want to point out that there are parent training centers throughout the states that can inform parents on their educational rights and help with advocacy. So it's a mix of understanding community resources, uh, receiving adequate um, support and respite, and uh, looking for alternatives, all the while advocating for safe reopening of school programs. And Susan, I I agree. My my issue is, my issue is there's no testing that's reasonable i mean i have i i did get somebody she took a test it took 10 days for the test to come back well in those 10 days what happened you know was she exposed again we have to come up with a better system there's got to be a a new solution other than good luck i think we are all on agreement on that and i think we're getting some good ideas here at least that we can work with and maybe pass on to legislators and susan i do wish you the best and i thank you for the call and i'm going to go back to dr spinazzi for a moment uh with a comment from sierra and get your response uh uh, uh, noemi spinazzi the sierra writes i have a child with dyslexia and memory issues remote online learning is a nightmare when your child needs assistance reading everything online our concern is that while all children have learning loss right now our child does not fall even further behind than other children and this is a major concern i think for so many people who are in this situation a hundred percent 
once again, I want to stress the I in IEP, individualized. So if you uh, have felt that in the last semester of remote learning, there was lack of progress or even regression, I would encourage you to schedule an interim IEP meeting to discuss the experience. Assistive technology could be wildly helpful. If the material could be accessed with a, uh, uh, alternative assistive technology, such as audiobooks, then your child may be able to receive the information that they need without having to struggle to read, all while focusing on reading-specific and dyslexia-specific programs that perhaps could be supported by your district, since I in IEP means individualized. And let me bring another caller on. Sherry joins us next. Sherry, thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Good morning. Hi, um, I'm actually a colleague of Lilian's. Hi, Lilian. I'm a special education advocate in the Bay Area. And I've, you know, heard, I've also been a special ed teacher for years um, prior to this. So I kind of see um, this from, you know, multiple angles. And I have a couple of comments and suggestions for parents. I, I wouldn't have a job if um, school districts were not um, so challenging to work with in terms of uh, providing services for parents. Um, I know that there was a suggestion that comp ed would be a great solution for compensatory services for students to catch up after they're able to go back to school. But districts are providing parents with, um, you know, patently false information. I had a district yesterday tell me that timelines for new evaluations have been suspended. They have not. But I know that if a parent doesn't know that, they take that information and they think, huh, okay, I'll have to wait. So I really encourage parents to understand um, what the SB 98 and the other guidance from the district say, say says um, document everything that's happening with their kid, take photos, look at your IEP, try to get, base, try to get a data on where they are in their um, goal progression right now. Um, call for an IEP meeting, which uh, Dr. Stanazzi said. Um, ask for new baseline data on goals because kids have definitely experienced regression. Um, communicate everything in writing. Uh, if your child is, um, is new to the district or needs to be evaluated and the district is uh, telling you that evaluation timelines are, um, you know, suspended, Make sure you document everything in writing. I, I, I would like nothing better than to not have a job, but until school districts are honest about and, and willing to work with parents, we're going to continue to have these issues where um, students aren't receiving services, advocates and attorneys have to be involved, and there's this tension between um, who gets services and who doesn't. And Sherry, give some earlier, really excellent advice. Uh, we're coming, unfortunately, to the end of this hour, but I want to thank you for the advice you just gave. And SB 98 actually was passed in June as part of the state budget. It requires districts to craft distance learning plans for all students in special education. The requirement is there. And she's talking about more parent activism and more parent involvement. And I think that's important, but it's supposed to be tailored to each student's needs. Uh, and this is any emergency. This is not only a pandemic, but this is earthquakes as well as wildfires. Let me thank all our guests. Appreciate uh, all of you being with us this morning. Uh, again, we were talking to Lilian Ansari, Noemi Spinasi, and Cindy Evans, and you are listeners, and we are here with you Monday through Friday, 9 to 11. And uh, if you have anything you'd like to suggest about 
what we should be doing on Forum or you'd like to hear us doing or you have any reaction to what you hear, email us, forum at kqed.org. And for all of us here at KQED, stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.